Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, June 26, 2020. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Room writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. Okay, it's almost the weekend. We're almost here, but let's uh let's dive into some film news first. Of course, Lou, <laughs> as most of our film news podcasts have been dominated by this pandemic in the past, uh, th- that's still happening on this episode. As some as a big film has been delayed once again. Ben, tell us about it. Yes, Christopher Nolan's Tenant has been moved again. Uh, originally, it was supposed to come out on July 14th. It got bumped back to July 31st, and now Warner Brothers has moved it yet again, this time to August 12th, 2020. So uh, it's still you know, uh, jostling to be one of the first big movies released this summer, and clearly the studio is uh, is still aiming for it to be a big summer movie. They're, they don't uh, evidently don't have any interest in kicking it to 2021 or anything like that yet. Uh, but yes, that's the the big news. Uh, I think the the biggest reason here is uh, New York is going to be entering its fourth phase of reopening, and movie theaters are not going to be allowed to reopen as part of 
that uh, phase. So with New York being one of this country's biggest uh, movie markets, it doesn't really make a lot of financial sense for Warner Brothers to open Tenet, um, you know, losing out with that significant percentage yeah. of, of its domestic box office take. So that's the uh, that's the, the latest. I mean, I but, guess... but ben, don't worry. Two weeks later, everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, you know, this is a 14 day delay. I just don't think that there's any way that New York is going to be like, oh, yeah, we're fully operational by August 12th. So everything is totally fine. I mean, like, what do you think is going to happen here? Peter and Chris, I'm, I'm interested to hear from both of you guys. Do you think Warner Brothers is going to just continue to slide this movie down the release calendar in very, very tiny increments in the hopes that, you know, maybe one of them will stick? Or do you think that they're just going to get fed up with this at any point and actually do you know, like move it into 2021 or something like that. Well, I'm going to steal from you here. I, I think this release date was the original release date for uh, for Wonder Woman. Is yeah, that correct? Uh, I think that's right. Or at least this has been uh, moving into this sort of mid-August slot has been a part of the studio's uh, backup plan since the middle of May. Um, Wonder yeah, Woman so 1984 was going to be in this date. And then that movie has since shifted to October 2nd. Yeah, you said this in the Slack channel, and I think this is probably what's going to happen, is Wonder Woman is going to move to 2021, and then uh, Tenet will take the uh, the Wonder Woman date. The uh, What date is that again? I'm sorry. Yeah, October, October 2nd is when Wonder Woman currently is. Dune is another big Warner Brothers movie that's also supposed to be coming out in December. I think I was speculating that maybe Wonder Woman would take that December date, and then Tenet would slide into that October second spot, but you know who who knows? It's all just uh, it, it's all just like musical chairs at this point. Chris, what do you think? What do you think is going to end up happening? What do you think their approach might be here? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm guessing they're just going to keep pushing it, which just seems silly at this point. And I I don't know. I get why they're doing this, but they're at the same time they're like they're still releasing or re releasing inception and they're they're pushing that to the july 31st date now and it's like why is it okay to risk your life for a movie you've already seen but not tenant i know why it's because box office and look i really like christopher nolan's movies i i think he's he's a great director but this whole thing is really rubbing me the wrong way because it's it's pretty clear that the studio is bending over backwards to make him happy because he has that kind of clout. Like if he were just another yeah. filmmaker, Warner brothers would be like, look, we're pushing this to next year. And it's clear. He's the one who who's pushing back against that. And it's really like souring me on him. Like I, I, I don't think he's doing it <laughs> to be malicious. I think, you know, he firmly believes that. And he's probably right that if we don't get movie theaters back up and running again soon, they're probably, not going to exist next year so i think that's what he's thinking but he's he's being so stubborn about this that he's it's it it, it sounds like he's willing to risk people's lives to get movie theaters up and running again and yeah i love movies man whether or not that's actually like his intent that that seems to be like a secondary thing that is going to happen if this does open soon you know yeah and like i i love movies man you know movies are my life it's literally how i make my living but going to the movies is not worth dying. I'm I'm sorry, Christopher Nolan. It just isn't. Hmm. Uh, You know, it was funny yesterday. Speaking of dying, going away from dying, I should say. 
Uh, on Twitter yesterday, producer Keith Calder did this, uh, tweeted the following. The release strategy of Tenant will make more sense when we watch the year again in reverse. I thought that was funny. So, uh, yeah, maybe it will. Uh, what, what's going on with Mulan? Mulan is still supposed to come out. In July? The Wall Street Journal says that Disney is considering pushing back uh, Mulan. But yeah, as of right now, I believe it's still set for its uh, July 24th date. I think there's no way that that sticks. I think, you know, we're, we've been talking about this a little bit here and there on, on podcast episodes and stuff. But I just think Disney is such a risk averse company that there's no way that they're going to be, you know, first out of the gate here. I think they just, uh, Peter, you can't, you can't envision Disney being the one to take that kind of risk. Can you? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I thought I thought they would like, if Tenant was releasing the next week like it was originally planned. Yes, but I feel like they're going to have to push it back. I know we've talked about this in the past, but there's no way that this could go to Disney Plus, right? It's like too big of a movie, too big of an investment, right? Yeah, I think so, especially with Hamilton going like that, you know, that movie cost them a lot of money to acquire. Um so that they're they're essentially taking not an eighty million dollar loss, but like a a significant loss by putting Hamilton on Disney Plus in the hopes that it drives enough subscribers to make it worth it for them in the long run. And I just don't think that they would do the same thing yeah. with Mulan, which costs you know two hundred million dollars instead of just the seventy five or eighty million or whatever it was that they paid to acquire Hamilton. You, uh, you mentioned movie theaters reopening. Uh, we've talked about the Alamo Drafthouse. They they have this whole plan that they they claim is going to be safer than the supermarket to to attend an Alamo Drafthouse theater when they reopen. What what does that mean? Uh, well, basically, Tim League, who is the the CEO of Alamo Drafthouse, sort of laid out a, a plan where guests are going to be required to wear masks, uh, except when eating and drinking. Um, one of the really interesting things here, you know, eating and drinking is obviously a really big deal. Uh, it's a big part of the draft house appeal, but, um, they're going to actually be requiring food and drinks to be pre-ordered with tickets online. So it's not like, it's not going to be business as usual at a draft house. If you go, uh, you know, anytime soon, because you're not going to be able to just like, uh, you know, check out a menu and, and write down, you know, if you get hungry in the middle of a movie, you used to be able to write your order on a card and an employee would sort of uh, unobtrusively sneak in and take it and bring you your order when it's ready. But that's not going to happen anymore. You're basically going to be forced to pre-order your, you know, make your food decisions before you even get to the theater. Um, so I'm guessing a lot of people won't be ordering as much food. There won't be as much, you know, in and out and stuff like that, probably trying to just cut down on uh, the amount of potential contacts and stuff like that. But but Tim League, the CEO, was essentially saying that he wants the the experience of people visiting an Alamo draft house to be where you can leave your car, go to your seat, enjoy your food and drinks, and be able to leave having never come within six feet of another person other than when your food is delivered. So that's the the hmm. idea here. Um, you know, whether or not that is actually like a practical thing that that happens and then like <laughs> you know that that stuff remains to be seen i guess but that's the uh the intent and allo draft house uh, draft house theaters are going to begin opening select locations in early uh july and then slowly like reopen in time for uh i was gonna say in time for tenant but i guess it's been moved back now so maybe they'll maybe these other theaters that were sort of um basing their reopening time frames on uh on tenant are going to 
maybe take a little bit more time to ease back into reopening. I'm not sure. None of the, the theaters have made statements to that effect yet, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. Like, you know, I, I've talked before that though, if Tenet comes out this summer, I will go to a movie theater to see it in a hopefully safe way. Uh, but I don't know, something bothers me. You know, Almo Drafthouse and Tim Wager are always great at marketing. Like they they are like the way they have marketed that Almo Drafthouse brand has been genius. And I feel like this is also pretty genius. But I don't I don't really think it's safer than a supermarket. When I go to a supermarket, everybody in my supermarket's wearing masks. No one's like eating food and drinking for two hours in a small air conditioned environment. I don't yeah, know. That, that's definitely, it seems like a catchphrase that they're trying to to use. And I, I don't, my wife and I were just talking about this actually today, like the idea of uh, sitting in a theater versus going to the grocery store. And I, I didn't even bring this up. I, I forgot that they were using this catchphrase, but like, I think you're probably right, Peter, because in a grocery store, you're constantly moving. You're, you know, going up and down aisles and you're not in one spot for a lot. And I think there have been recent studies that have shown that you're more, um, I don't know, at risk of potentially catching the coronavirus if if you stay in one location for a long period of time. So, um, or, or a, a potentially dangerous location, you know, not yeah. your house or whatever, but uh, a public place or something like that. So I think, I think you're right. The, the idea of being at a supermarket and you're like, you being constantly on the move is way, way different than just, you know, staying seated for two and a half hours or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about how Hollywood is going to reopen. There's a new M. Night Shyamalan movie, which is going to film later this year. Chris, tell us about this. Right. There's not a whole lot about this. We don't even know what the plot is. We just know right now it's set to open July 23rd, 2021. And the plan is to start shooting it this fall. Uh, The cast includes Eliza Scanlon, who was in um, Sharp Objects and Little Women. Uh, Thomason McKenzie, she was in Leave No Trace and Jojo Rabbit's Rabbit, uh, Alex Wolf from Hereditary, and Vicky Creeps, who was in Phantom Thread, and that's always exciting. Um, I always I thought after Phantom Thread she would be everywhere because her performance in that movie is so good, but she's like barely been in anything, so I'm excited to see she's going to be working in a, a big movie again. But that's really it. We don't know what the hell this is about. We just know that and like Shyamalan is writing it and directing it for uh, universal and it's due out next July, maybe unless you know, <laughs> everyone's dead by then. Who knows where we're going? <laughs> do, do, do we know how they're going to be safely filming this production? No, there's no real details about that. And, you know, this story broke a little bit before um, things got progressively worse. And, and by that, I mean, it was like only two days ago, but it feels like, in the span of 48 hours, we've we've been hearing more and more about how things are getting worse with the coronavirus. So for all we know, this this might not uh, hold at this point. They might end up bumping the shooting schedule back, at which point they'll probably b- bump the re- release date back as well. Have you seen what's ha- uh, been happening with the WWE? No, I have not. So they have been filming in their training center in Florida, which is, I guess, like ground zero at this point. Uh, But, you know, they've been filming all their productions with like almost no crowd or some crowd, but socially distant. uh, And all the performers have been like separated in the backstage and like kind of like I think everything that like the NBA is planning on doing in Florida, (laughs) Walt Disney World. And this past week, it came out that. 
a number of WWE employees were tested positive for COVID, including some on-air talent. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I, I haven't followed the story since then, but it's it, it seems crazy like to do a film production when this is still like so crazy and it, it could easily spread to the entire crew and cast. I don't know. It just makes me think of that. It's just like, what, what do you do then? I don't know. Uh, you know, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about how, how is Hollywood going to handle film and TV productions going forward? Ben, tell us about it. Yeah. So Vanity Fair spoke with several people in the production community. And um, I don't remember if we talked about this or not, but uh, Hollywood was essentially given the green light to resume filming on TV and films on June 12th. So, you know, a couple weeks ago and the guilds and the unions joined together and they unveiled these new production protocols um, to help combat the virus. But according to this new Vanity Fair report, which just came out yesterday, uh, most movies and TV shows remain stalled and nearly paralyzed, struggling to figure out how and when to safely return to work. So just because they can do something uh, doesn't mean that that productions are necessarily getting back up and running yet. And it, it turns out that it's way easier to just lay out the set of guidelines on paper than it is to actually implement them. So the, the big issue seems to be that um, because... Uh, movie sets. I don't know if you guys have, uh, I mean, most of our listeners have probably not been, been on film sets, but maybe they've heard enough of us talk about it or seen enough behind the scenes footage and stuff like that, where, you know, the sets are bustling places. The stuff happens and needs to happen very, very quickly. So when a prop needs to be swapped or a costume needs to be tweaked or a light or something like that uh, needs to be moved, that stuff pretty much needs to be done instantly because, you know, time is money, as they say. And there, the thing is, a lot of people can do, in a traditional set, can do a lot of different things in close quarters at the same time and then break away and then people can get more takes and all that kind of stuff. But with the coronavirus uh, necessitating that people spread out and do, you know, maintain social distancing and all of that kind of stuff, and actually even stay in separate pods and zones that they're, you know, just to increase the safety measures so much. Um, basically, that is cutting down on the efficiency of productions. So there's the the thought is that COVID-19 could actually double the length of time that it takes to shoot a movie or TV show, which is kind of crazy and sounds very, very expensive. And I think it might be prohibitively expensive for a lot of smaller productions. Like if you don't have extra money for your budget, I, I have no idea how people are practically going to get back up and running and, you know, when when the shooting time on any given day is going to be essentially cut in half. Um, mm. And there's also the idea that, like, you know, if somebody were to get sick, um, one of the new uh, production protocols is that uh, all productions need, like, uh, essentially a health and safety department where people are making sure that, you know, everybody's wearing masks and doing all the, the right safety moves. But if somebody gets sick, that department has the power to essentially shut down the entire production to make sure that the, the virus doesn't spread any further. But the problem with that is that... Wait, wait, do we know how long that would shut down a production? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it's sort of, it's unclear because I don't think, as best of my knowledge, it hasn't happened yet. So it's all like, we're, we're in totally uncharted territory here. I think the plan would I'm guessing the plan would just be like a two week shutdown. But the problem with that is that insurance companies took a really big hit when uh, the coronavirus first essentially shut down Hollywood in the, in the middle of March. So 
for productions that get back up and running, they aren't going to have the same protections from insurance companies that they had before this. Insurance companies are are wise to this whole thing and they're not going to, you know, offer people the same deals that they did before in terms of like pandemic coverage and stuff like that. So the, the well, problem it, it'll is it'll probably cost them more money. Yeah, for but the, the same. but for um for productions that maybe don't have a lot of extra wiggle room in their budgets, that that extra money may be the difference between you know that that may be the the money that tells them whether or not they could actually move forward with the project and i think a lot of uh, smaller productions which you know are are more nimble than you know big marvel blockbusters and are able to sort of um you know they have benefits on one side but on the other side when they don't have the budget to be able to potentially handle some of the setbacks and stuff that might come with this that might basically end up silencing a lot of the voices that are getting you know, that would be able to tell stories in a smaller way. And then some of these bigger movies, like there's the thought that some might not even start shooting again until 2021 because they can't figure out how to actually implement these rules safely. And everybody thinks that implementing these rules are a great idea and like a necessary idea, but it's the actual, you know, practical implementation of them and, and, you know, the timing of, of reworking and rewiring and reshaping what a film set looks like in this era that is really causing a lot of obstacles for people right now. Uh, this is going to be crazy. I feel like a lot of productions are going to take uh, use of something similar to like the stagecraft technology being used on the Mandalorian, because that allows you <laughs> a lot less people constructing sets, doing set deck and all that stuff. And a, a lot less people actually, because most of the lighting and stuff is provided by the actual, you know, screens themselves. So mm-hmm. I, I, you could cut down, but it also, you know, as you say, for small production, can't do that because, you know, all you have to render all these locations or create all these locations in 3D before you even begin the shoot, which is like the equivalent to like if I was an indie film, like, you know, paying money to shoot at a grocery store is like not that much money, but paying money to create a grocery store in 3D is a lot of money. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting for sure. Um, OK, let's let's move on to some non pandemic news. Let's talk about Edgar Wright. He has revealed that there might be a Scott Pilgrim animated series in consideration. Chris, what do we know? Yeah, so Entertainment Weekly had a big uh, oral history of the Scott Pilgrim movie. And in the midst of that, uh, Edgar Wright mentions that there's been some plans, but he also adds that there's nothing official yet, but there's been some plans to revisit um, the Scott Pilgrim stories in animation. Uh, Again, there's nothing official yet, but they've been having conversations with... um, uh, uh, everyone pretty much so uh, it's it's a distinct possibility that there might be a scott pilgrim animated series sometime in the not too distant future maybe i think i think that could be great especially if they are able to capture like brian lee o'malley's like signature art style for this right yeah it seems like that would be a no-brainer at this point especially since you know, as much as people love Scott Pilgrim, the movie was a a very big box office bomb. So there's there's very unlikely ever going to be a live action sequel. Yeah. I just wonder, like, would this be a readaptation of the books? Because I, I like, you know, the movie cuts down, what is it, six or seven books into a two hour movie? Mm-hmm. And I, I guess there's a lot more material there. I, I, I've read them all and there, there definitely is a lot more material there. Or is this like a sequel? 
What do you uh, think? I mean, yeah, I mean, they could definitely just Edgar Wright says revisit. So that sort of sounds like maybe they like retell, you know, the story all over again with the sticking closer to the comics. But yeah, like I said, there's nothing really official yet. Yeah. Well, maybe something I, I feel like there's going to be a lot more animated productions to get announced in the next few months because it's a lot easier for animators to work from home and create something than it is to, you know, put together one of those <laughs> big film productions. So maybe this is something that could get off the ground because of the pandemic. Maybe there's a positive here. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> sure. Uh, okay, let's uh, move on to Colin Trevorrow, who is signed on to direct a new thriller called Atlantis for Universal. Ben, what do we know? Yes, so Colin Trevorrow and uh, Matt Charman, who wrote the script for Bridge of Spies, came up with this story uh, about Atlantis and Dante Harper, who I believe is credited as, as one of the um, screenwriters of Alien Covenant, and he wrote the original spec script for Edge of Tomorrow, is going to actually write the script for this Atlantis movie. Uh, details are, are pretty scarce at this point, but according to Deadline, which broke the news, um, this uh, Colin Trevorrow Atlantis movie is going to differ from previous incarnations of the mythical city as an underwater kingdom and instead set the film on a lost continent in the Indian Ocean between Africa, India, and Oceania. It is a, a multicultural civilization with its own advanced technology. So that kind of sounds like you know, essentially Atlantis, but maybe not fully underwater, which is, I guess, an interesting kind of take yeah. on it. But um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, with such vague details about the plot and all that kind of stuff, it, it's tough to like get super excited about this. But I, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about our feelings about Colin Trevorrow as a, a filmmaker and stuff. And I don't think my my views have particularly changed any since the last time we had those discussions. So I don't know if we need to really like, yeah. you know, get, get too much back in, into that. But um, I, uh, I also also this that I am excited for Atlantis. Like Atlantis is so, like a concept uh, is something that's always kind of intrigued me. I know that Disney had the that movie Atlantis: The Lost Empire, and uh, was that a financial failure? I think it was. Right? It was at least was. critically not loved. But I think they're trying to make a live action movie of it. Am I correct on that? I th I think so. I think there were rumors about that, but I don't know if that's actually been confirmed yeah. by like a legitimate source. I do remember there, like in the '90s, there was this video game called Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. And Atlantis, like they're having so much trouble coming up with a MacGuffin for this new Indiana Jones movie. I feel like Atlantis would have been perfect for Indiana Jones. Hmm. Chris, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I, that would be cool. Although, I, I don't know how you would do it because Atlantis is supposed to be, you know, a sunken city. So, how is Indiana Jones gonna? hang out there is he gonna be like in a submarine the whole movie or so i don't I still yeah. know same way trevorrow's doing it maybe like he raises the city i don't know maybe he goes back in time to where before it gets <laughs> sunk i don't know maybe uh global warming has lowered the water level or actually it, it's not gonna be set during today so that doesn't make sense <laughs> i don't know yeah good question i, I guess colin trevorrow has found out the answer here it, it is to basically just get rid of the water so <laughs> i don't know maybe there maybe the city of atlantis is be, like below the ocean but it's like in a bubble of sort i don't know sure i'm not sure why not <laughs> chris they had aliens in the last indiana jones but i'm not i'm i'm agreeing with you peter they should absolutely <laughs> do this go in a bubble whatever it's fine 
<laughs> okay, we were talking about Colin Trevorrow. He's the director and producer of the Jurassic World series. And the new, uh, new film, Jurassic World Dominion, has hired a character, or has hired an actor to play a character from the original Jurassic Park film. Chris, tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so Campbell Scott, who is a, a, a very good character actor, he, uh, he's in uh, several of the titles, uh, is going to play Dodgson, who uh, everyone who's seen Jurassic Park will remember is the guy who gives Nedry the, the shaving cream can to steal dino embryos. Um, uh, there's a, you know, it, it's interesting that he's coming back because in, not in the first Jurassic Park book, but in the sequel book, The Lost World, uh, Dodgson is a, a main character. He's actually the main villain in that book, but that's not how the Lost World movie played out. They didn't bring that character back. Um, and it makes sense that if they're going to bring him back, they're going to hire a new actor because the original actor who played Dodgson, Cameron Thor, was actually um, sentenced to six years in prison in 2016 for sexually assaulting a minor. So uh, I don't mean to bring things down, but that's, you know, that's just what happened. So it, it makes sense that if they want to bring this guy back, they have to find someone new to play him. So how would Dodson figure into this whole new trilogy? Uh, there's no info yet, but in, in the Lost World book, he wants to, you know, Dodson works for Biogenesis, which is the, the competitor of InGen. InGen is the company John Hammond owned and, you know, created Jurassic Park with. So uh, Biogenesis was always trying to one-up InGen and steal their, their dino embryos and stuff like that. So I'm guessing... Dodgson will end up being, you know, the human villain in this third Jurassic World movie. Um, but, you know, I, I'm it's so uh, it's too early to tell what exactly the plot of that movie is going to be. So it's hard to say. But, you know, I'm guessing since he's an antagonist in the books, he's going to be a villain in the film as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this past week on the water cooler or was it the week before uh, people were talking about Twister? Who was talking about Twister on the water cooler? Uh, I think I mentioned it and Brad mentioned it too. It's a different week. We both watched it on different weeks. Yeah. Well, it looks like you guys have willed this into existence. They are rebooting Twister with the director of Tron Legacy. Ben, can you tell us about this? Uh, yes, there there isn't much information yet, but uh, I think um, the Hollywood Reporter, which originally reported this, or maybe it was Variety, originally reported this. They basically said that this is a Twister reboot, and Joseph Kaczynski, the director behind uh, Tron Legacy and the upcoming Top Gun Maverick, is going to be directing it. So um, the idea that this is a reboot and not uh, a remake or a direct sequel makes me kind of think that they're potentially going to try to get a cameo by Helen Hunt, who is one of the main characters in the original movie. Uh, Bill Paxton also led that film. He died in 2017. Um, I remembered when he passed away that real life storm ch chasers uh, paid tribute to, to him by spelling out his initials with GPS in uh, tornado alley in the United States. So I, I think if they're looking to actually bring Helen Hunt back, maybe they could have that same kind of thing have happened in world to Bill Paxton's character. I think that would have been, uh, that would be kind of a cool way to, um, you know, tip the hat to him. Um, Frank Marshall, the producer of a ton of Steven Spielberg's movies and the Bourne franchise and Sixth Sense and a, a billion other things is going to be producing this reboot. Um, but that's basically all we know. We don't know anything about, you know, who else is involved um, I, I think no writer has been attached yet. So, uh, yeah, basically we just know that a Twister reboot is coming and Joseph Kaczynski is directing it. He, he also directed Oblivion and Only the Brave. 
So when I first heard this news, I have to say that I, I kind of thought like he is, if not the perfect filmmaker to uh, <laughs> tackle a new twister, then a inspired choice because Jan Dupont, who directed the original was not necessarily known as like a, a brilliant director, but he was really, really great at, uh, you know, pushing the boundaries of what was possible in movies back then. And I think Kaczynski, who's like a very much a visual stylist, um, is going to be able to use every visual effects trick that Hollywood has developed over the past 25 years to really make this, you know, immerse us in a new twister world. Um, the problem of course, is that Kaczynski so far has not been, exactly great with uh, characters and and being able to pull, you know, memorable, excellent performances out of his actors. So, and, and <laughs> Twister is like so much, you know, is definitely a boundary pushing VFX movie, but it's also really, really enjoyable because of it's an ensemble cast and, and the performances there. So I, I, I'm worried that this is like half of the equation and maybe the, the other half will get filled in by the writer and, you know, whoever ends up getting brought onto this, but um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's kind of where I'm at with this. Yeah, I feel like he is good with visual effects, as you said. I, I think he's more of a person who's good at building sci-fi worlds. Like, I love Tron, the world of Tron Legacy. I love the world of Oblivion. I don't think either of those scripts are amazing, and I feel like the humanity in both of those scripts is uh, lacking, and I feel like Twister needs some kind of humanity. I, I'm, I, I'm not saying Twister was you know, an amazing script, but what did we say that like Joss Whedon did a rewrite of that? I believe he was one of the correct? many people who did rewrites on it. Yes. There was, there was a whole slew yeah. of people behind the scenes doing rewrites. Yeah. And you had like just the charisma and charm of like Philip Seymour Hoffman, who also is no longer around. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical of this, uh, but Oh, there's some late breaking news here. Uh, Disney is going to be making another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Uh, ben, what do we know about this? Yeah, it looks like uh, Margot Robbie is going to be starring in this. And Christina Hodson, who wrote uh, Birds of Prey, is going to be writing the script. So uh, it says that Disney is basically developing this concurrently with the other franchise reboot that they had already announced, which has uh, Chernobyl writer um, Craig Mazin and original Pirates writer Ted Elliott on board to write that script. So both of these are going to be developed at the same time. It looks like they're not going to cross over. Um, it says that this project is an early development. It is not intended to be a spinoff of the one of the Pirates franchise that we know that currently exists. So I don't imagine there's going to be any sort of connection at all with the uh, with Johnny Depp or any of the other stars there. This is supposed to be a, a new version and that is also separate from the <laughs> the already announced reboot that is still in the works. So, uh, man, uh, Margot Robbie as a pirate sounds kind of awesome. Um, I don't totally. know, Chris, Chris, what do you think about this? Yes, I'm all in on, on Margot Robbie with a sword. I will gladly watch that movie. Um, <laughs> I... Uh... Uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm curious about revisiting the pirate sequels because I recently revisited the first one, and that first one really holds up. And I'm so tempted to give at least the the first two sequels, not the not the non Gore Verbinski ones, a shot. But I definitely think of all the Disney properties, there's so much room 
in you know the pirates world to 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 expand on so this this makes a lot of sense i don't know if we really need two different reboots and (laughs) i i wouldn't be surprised if one of them ends up getting canceled but Mm -hmm. uh yeah i am i'm not against the idea of of margot robbie as a pirate i'll put it that way (laughs) peter do you think margot robbie is going to be playing red in this yeah i was just going to say that when we were talking about uh the zombie land guys were trying to do a pirates of the caribbean reboot uh, i'd speculated back then that uh it might center around red who is this character who has recently been rebooted in the ride she used to be uh i guess a wench that was being sold off and now she is a, a red-headed pirate uh more in line with the times and disney has kind of made her a character that is a walk around character in the parks before you know this pandemic made that not possible um, and i i think disney is interested in that and, and if you look at the people involved here like it really feels like this is I don't know. I, I I hate to say like because there's so many female names involved that like it's probably a female driven story, but I I kind of get that feeling. Well, right? yeah. I mean, Margot Robbie is leading it certainly. Yeah. So, uh, and Christina Hodson, who is also you know she wrote Birds of Prey. She also wrote um, yeah. uh, Bumblebee, and that was a, a female led project as well. So it's clear that they you know care a lot about that. Representation is important, and and uh, these two in particular are you know have have a good. Uh, working relationship already so i think it's safe to say that it's going to be you know with margot robbie uh leading the charge it's it's definitely going to be a female-led pirates movie yeah i I, yeah it will be interesting for sure i uh you know i am a fan of the the pirates trilogy i i do feel like those last two film or the the last two films of that trilogy are not as good as the first i i mean that's not a hot take at all i think everybody agrees on that but i i do think there's some really good stuff in the second and third film it's just back to back with a lot of nonsense and a lot of bad stuff. Uh, but I don't know. I, it, those films were, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, I, maybe you know this, but weren't those filmed like right when the writer strike happened and like they had to like build the sets before they had a script and all this kind of like nonsense at the time. I, I remember, I remember reporting on that back in the day. I can't recall off the top of my head, but I wouldn't be surprised because those movies are a mess. So I, <laughs> that definitely seems possible. Yeah. Well, crazy. So, yeah, this story just broke while we were recording this podcast. We'll put a link to our story in the show notes, along with all the other stories we talked about on today's podcast. If you want to subscribe to Slash Film Daily, uh, you can do so on iTunes, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. And please, if you can, go head on over to iTunes, give us a rating, write us a review. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.